amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Peach State Pandemonium. Uh, the ghost of Jay West made the music right this time. Blessing. Where were we? What were we talking about, guys, before we got interrupted for a year here? <laughs> well, I don't know anybody here young enough to remember what they talked about day before yesterday. Never mind. <laughs> well, anyway, welcome to Peace State Pandemonium for Thursday, September 6, 2018, our our return show for the uh after a year layoff. Uh, and you know, this month is actually going to be eight years that, that the three of us started doing it and, and less, I guess you were doing it a year or two, or maybe even three years before any of us got involved in this. You and with, Mike. Yeah. With Simple Rich. And, 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 uh, yeah. Rich. Well, you know, Doc Young who passed away, uh, I don't know if we, uh, I guess I was one of the first ex wrestlers or current wrestlers or whatever, uh, to do one of these things, but Doc and I started doing this in 2004. Uh, Wrestling Weekly was a show that, uh, you know, he started, and then, uh, we, uh, you know, and now everybody's got a, a, a podcast for right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, I'll, just for those who, who are listening who don't recognize these voices after so long, uh, I'm Michael Norris, and I am joined by my regular co-host Jerry Oates and Bobby Simmons, and uh, one of the old veterans of this show, as, as I just mentioned, who who was one of the the original hosts or co-hosts back when uh, Rich State first started T uh, State Pandemonium. Uh, trainer, wrestler, announcer, extraordinaire, all-around good guy, Les Thatcher. I've done everything in this business except get rich, Michael. <laughs> well, and I'm giving up on that. that <laughs> yeah, I, I know. The only one who got rich in his business was Charlie Smith, and that's because he stole all his money. Oh, oh <laughs> poor Charlie! Poor Charlie! Yeah. Oh my God! How many years have we got uh, between Bobby and Jerry and I in terms of uh, well, yourself? How many years? I've, I've been doing this uh, fifty-eight and a half years. See, Jerry, you started in well, 71? 70. 70. 70. Bobby started in 71. I started running errands for Charlie Harbin in 69. Actually went in the ring in 72. Well, then Jerry's been doing and, just 10 years shy, uh, shorter than me. So that's 40, I mean, 48 hell. So we're we're at 106 years there. And then how long, Bobby? I went in the ring in 72. 
Okay. Forty six. Forty six. I had my first match in seventy nine. You're just a kid then, aren't you? Yeah. Good grief. We we this this is this is something, isn't it? It is. Well, I had all the experience because I toted all you guys' bags when I was a kid. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I, I watched you work, Michael. You still should be toting them bags. It's. <laughs> you, you, you have to I think you're the one that ran off with my bags. <laughs> <laughs> that's a possibility oh, too. And, and what has changed in the year that, since the last time the four of us spoke? Uh, well, besides we've all gotten older. older. Yeah, I got to, I got to meet our Alabama correspondent. I got to meet Dennis Mitchell. <laughs> which you got to meet who? Dennis Mitchell is, but I missed. I finally got to meet Dennis in uh, in Dothan when we went down for a little thing they had. Oh, you got invited to that, huh? Yes, sir. Yes, I guess uh, just just referees or no? Uh, uh, me and me and Charlie and Scrappy were invited down for that, and. Uh, we uh, had a good time. Saw a lot of folks hadn't seen in a long time. I'm glad uh, I don't ever get invited to any of those things that I've been a part of. <laughs> isn't that amazing? It is, isn't it? Yeah, amazing. <laughs> you know, but, I worked for five, five different promotions in Knoxville, was the face of television for four different promotions, and uh, they had a thing over there. It was I don't, like a, sort of like a Comic-Con uh, comic or something like that. And uh, Arn was there, who I don't think ever worked the territory. Um, Tommy Pritchard, I'm not sure who, you know. And I said, wow, I hope when I grow up I get a chance to do something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. It's just amazing. You know what we miss, Jerry? We miss being on national television. That's the difference. I mean, you know, uh, they, these kids and now these promoters. It's well, this, uh, you know, uh, you can you could have been a, just a clown uh, as long as you were on Raw, SmackDown, uh, Impact, or, or you know, one of the national TV right. shows, and you'll get booked. I mean, it, you don't even have to be able to work; <laughs> just get booked. Yeah, that's it's, it's it's something I don't know. You know, I don't. You probably don't want to. Do. No, I don't. I don't care. I don't. You know, everybody, you know, I was talking to, uh, uh, who was I talking to yesterday? Oh, God, uh, in him, Mickey Doyle. And I said, you know, with, you know, all the guys our age talk about what it used to be and blah, 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 blah. I said, well, you know, we're all, we all sit at home on account of one man. He put everybody out of business. And that's yeah. the end of that story. So he well, he could he could do what he wanted and do what he, you know, but how anybody goes to it and pays to see it, I have no earthly idea. Well, it's lost. I, it's, that, I don't. It's lost a lot of its flavor. It, it's it's a it's a big well you know, and it's not just guys in our age bracket either. Um, Rory McAllister, who was one of the the Scottish tag team that worked for Vince. Hell, that hasn't been 15 years ago or so. I just saw he had put a post up the other day. It said a bunch of choreographed uh, acrobatic spots to, to get the people to chant, holy shit. You know, and that's... Yeah. And, and, yeah. I mean, that's just, that's a big part of it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how. Yeah, you know, but that's, that's, you know, if that's what it is, it's, you know, that's what it is. They're, they're making money, you know. But I don't, but are the boys making money? We can't be making that kind of money. No, well, 
No. I mean, not like when not, not when Austin was there and that crowd. They ain't making that kind of money. Well, you know, they're Fox, not growing that kind of money. Fox just put up a billion, a billion, not a million, a billion dollars to get SmackDown on their network uh, starting next year. I think well, it's what's next wrong year. With them? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Well, you know, you stop. You're talking about money now. Stop and think about uh, if you've got a million and a half people paying you ten dollars a month to watch your network on on cable or on the internet. How much does that add up to? A million and a half people times ten bucks a month. That's a million and a half idiots. T.C. Barnum was right. You know, I wish they'd give me them idiots to give me some of that damn money. That's well, I understand that. I understand that. But, I, I, you know, I, it, it's just really disgusting, you know. I mean, you know, well, it's, just you like know a, 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 it's just like Mickey Mantle. Most of them made 100 grand. Right. And look what these guys make today. So it's the same difference. You know, For sure. And, 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 you know, and they get a headache and they sit out and, you know. Yeah, you know, and, and the things going on in football, which I don't watch anymore on account of that. That's that's my belief. But Matty Ice, uh, who I, I, melts I, I, when it comes I, I, down I to a serious game. Is, if I was a police, if I was a police department, I wouldn't escort them to any stadiums or anything. That's my belief. Well, you and know, if you're I, working for me, if you're working for me, you can do what I tell you to do. Yeah, it's a business. I agree. So I that's agree. all I'm gonna say about that. That's all I'm gonna say about that. But you know, well, you know people, Tony, oh, Dun- uh, Tony Dungy just mentioned earlier tonight. He was on Pardon the Interruption, and he said uh, what he would do if he were still a head coach is he would tell the players in the locker room, he "said Speak up, tell me what you, you know, uh, what it is you do, like, don't like, what you you know, what your problem is." And he said, "I will give you 15 or 20 minutes of my press conference every week." to get out and express that and not bring it to the field. There you go. You know. At least somebody with some sense. But I, yeah. I just know how we would, uh, you know, you're supposed to be in the dressing room an hour before the matches. You know, some promoters enforced it, some didn't, but there was a rule. Yeah. There was a rule, yeah. you know, or whatever we had to do. You, you, we was paid, to, you know, that's anyhow. But and the majority it, of the guys, unless they got caught in traffic or had, a, you know, something happened, they they did that and didn't didn't question it. Right. Well, you know, oh. actually now there's a – you know, I was talking to the other – I was down in Atlanta a few weeks ago <clears throat> in Norcross, actually, at Chip Smith Systems, where Ray Lloyd, Glacier, and uh, QT Marshall, who wrestle for uh, Ring of Honor, uh, have got a school now. And, uh, you know, they were talking about, you know, the, the different things. Uh, but we were – you know, we got into – actually, a lot of guys from our era – couldn't get a, a job today because they were too open and outgoing. Sputnik Monroe wouldn't last wouldn't last two days with any of these promotions because no. you know the corporate stance is you you say what we want you to say publicly or you say nothing, right? And I mean, besides being a hell of a heel, Spuddy kept the dressing rooms loose because he was funny as hell too. <laughs> but uh, if if he thought a promoter was a thief, he'd he'd say that guy's a thief, right? I mean, it was, you know, it's it's so micromanaged that, you know, I, I just I said to somebody earlier today, I said I wouldn't trade my time in the territories, because you know it was relax. I mean, there were rules, but it was relaxed enough you could have fun, and uh, you didn't you didn't have to say exactly what the promoter said or 
you know, you didn't have to be the same uh, religion or politics that the Booker was or anything like that. I mean, you, you know, and you had some say so in who you were. Right. Exactly. That's the biggest thing now. I mean, guys go go to work up there, and and they're told who they are and what they're going to look like and what their names going to be and all that. Way you you know, we didn't have to put up with all that junk. I mean, we were unless you know it was a specific you know mask gimmick or something like that. The promoter wanted to do other than that. You were you were yourself for the most yeah. part. Well, you know, the thing that I'm sure a lot of these young guys get tired of hearing, but it's the truth, is, you know, when when you start talking about promos, well, Flair was just being Flair, and Piper was Piper, and Dusty was Dusty. But it was true. I mean, uh, if you were good at promos, you did them. If you didn't, if you weren't good, then you didn't get interviewed a lot. Or if you were a heel, you had a manager, you know. But, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, now I think the worst part is they uh, some of these kids may be as good as Piper or Flair or, or Dusty, but you don't know that because some writer who doesn't even know this kid is handing him a script and said, here's what you have to say. You know, so they don't even get an opportunity to find out if they're that good or not. But well, the NWA has taken a little turn. I know, Michael, you mentioned to me uh, via email we want, you want to talk about that. And this past yeah. weekend uh, uh, they made – uh, the best inroads that the NWO has made in God knows how many years, uh, you know, and, and got the title over once again for how long, I don't know. But uh, it was, it was, uh, you know, they, they made it seem like it was an important match. Uh, the people were into the match before it went to the ring, and it, it would prove several things. Um, you know, one is that if if you if, if you have sold the match as being important and, you know, and the people are buying it, when you get in the ring, then you don't have to risk your life or, or you know, or uh, being paralyzed for life, uh, doing a lot of crazy bumps. You can go out and, and you know, you don't have to work as hard and, you, and you're going to get this, you know, a good reaction, which they did. Um, and, and the way they built this thing. I don't know if any of you guys see those videos, the 10 pounds of gold thing. No. no. My God, where you guys been? <laughs> Well, let, let, let Uncle Les why. <laughs> uh, Nick Aldis, who's an English kid and, and, and a solid worker, and Cody uh, Cody Rhodes, Dusty's son. Um, they were up for the NWA title, and they but for months they have been building this thing. They've they've done a couple face to face, but there was no nobody ever screaming. There was no punches thrown. Nobody you know uh, doing anything. But they both you know were dressed suit and tie, you know coat and tie. And talked some seriousness, and then they would edit in footage of them working out. Um, this Billy Corrigan, uh, who is the lead uh, frontman from Smashing Pumpkins, the, the you know the rock band, uh, is the guy with the money behind the, the NWA now. And uh, but they, you know they built these things, and going into this, it was uh, the match was over, you know. And, uh, well, it, it proves several things. You know, I, I've been saying for years that some of these younger kids that I work with, when they'll say about nothing in particular, but I say, uh, nobody, they don't buy that anymore. I say, if you know how to sell it, they'll buy it. And that was proven this past weekend because they took their time. They didn't rush. They laid down a good, solid story. You know, Cody, with the, if he were to win, it would be the second generation and and Nick Aldis, who's never been a huge star, well, uh, TNA pushed him for a while, but he's he 
his demeanor. You know, he came across as as a class guy. He's got size. He's an athlete, and so forth, and so on. So uh, they actually did more to resurrect the NWA title. Uh, this, you know, over overall and in, into this the matches past Saturday in Chicago that I've seen in years with the NWA. Yeah, I knew that that uh, Cody had won that. I saw a blurb on that, and you know they they were naturally comparing he and Dusty. Um, but uh, that that was that was it called All In or whatever it was. All In, the yeah. Well, the, the Young Bucks and uh, Cody and uh, this uh, Omega, uh, they are the guys uh, that put. This whole, well, with the backing of Ring of Honor, it was Sinclair Broadcasting who owns Ring of Honor. Yeah. They backed them too, but they sold. Uh, you know, it's sort of a rebellious thing, sort of like ECW. I guess you'd look at it like that. But it's you know, I again going back to being a much older guy, I, I've told some young guys. I said, you know, this is you go back to the movie Rebel Without a Cause. If you were a teenager at that time, then you wanted to be like James Dean because he was he was rebellious. And you couldn't be that way, or you didn't have the you know the guts to be that way, or you just weren't raised that way, whatever. But the young bucks are like you know they spit in the face of conventional wrestling and this and that and the other thing. So uh, you know uh, they've got a hell of a fan base for basically you know the computer nerds or the millennials. Uh, they uh, you know they're not physical, so they jump on these guys' bandwagon and and and. Included in that is Cody and and uh, uh, Omega and and uh, a kid named Adam Page, who's a hell of a little hand too. I've worked with him before, but uh, these guys have got the, those Bullet Club T-shirts are in the Hot to- Hot Topics. I'm sure you've all seen those Hot Topic stores in the different malls mm-hmm. around, yeah. right? Yeah. They, they yeah. sold they sold what's something like fourteen thousand of those T-shirts in the last year. Some kind of craziness like that, but they sold this show out without announcing. Well, the, they knew the NWA title was going to be part of it, but without actually announcing the matches. Now realize they had top guys from New Japan, they had top guys from Ring of Honor, uh, you know, along with the, the NWA title. So it was it was a show with with people who were known. No TV in Chicago. They have no you know no local TV whatsoever, and they went into the Sears Center. <laughs> And they sold this place out in 30 minutes. A little over 10,000, little over 10,000 tickets in 30 minutes. Hmm. So that's you know, uh, and, well, and that shows it can be done with the money behind it. Well, and I think the you know promoting it's it's is something, to, and, and I think again part of it is this. <coughs> rebellious thing right like when ecw yeah. you know you you probably nobody on this conversation is was a huge fan of slice and dice but the point is uh it was like paul Heyman was us against them right and every kid at, at some level uh in every generation jumps on that rebellious bandwagon right they you know they want to be they want to change things so I think that was part of it, but uh, where they go from here, I don't know. I know that WWE has made offers to all these guys, but I don't think they'll go, honestly, because uh, they pretty much got the run of the play. You know, with Ring of Honor, they pretty much call their own shots as well as they do with New Japan. And uh, so, 
I, but I, like I say now, will the you know I think the NWA will uh, benefit from this. Will it? But but I you know I've never smoked anything good, good enough to make me think it would come back to its prominence that it was where it was at when we were all young and you know and, and working in the business. No, I think that that ship is long sailed. But at least you know, at least it's not dominated by one person. Yeah, don't seem to be anymore. So, and any any kind of competition is good for for both companies. I mean, you know, for all three. Well, or I'm curious. Involved yeah, now. I'm curious to see. They have poked us. Uh, I, I keep saying they poked a sleeping lion, but they went into Madison Square Gardens now. Um, WrestleMania next year is at Giant Stadium, just across the river in in Jersey. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, it's not as big a feat as selling out the Sears Center in Chicago because uh, WrestleMania week, whether it's New Orleans or Atlanta, wherever it's at, uh, every you know, if, if your little wrestling company has a show there and your average draw is about 600, you'll probably end up at 1,200. So, but they sold out the Garden already. So. Uh, I'm just waiting to see uh, when Vince starts raiding the talent out of New Japan and, and uh, uh, Ring of Honor, which I, I believe will happen in just a matter of when. Which would be okay if he'd actually do something with them, but I mean, it'll, I'm just—I'd be worried he'd do just like he did in the '80s when he raided everybody. He'd take somebody that was a big draw and stick them in a dumb gimmick, or, or you know. Well, you know, I mean, how over he was in Louisiana and how, you know, people really believed in him. He goes up to New York and, you know, gains 200 pounds and he's seen his grab them cakes and he's stupid. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think I, I think that's kind of the profile of, of the company to – if you have been a star somewhere else, we have to sort of show you that you're you, you're you know you're not the end all be all that we can actually change that if we want to. But you know if they uh, they tried a uh, you know an invasion thing with WCW and it failed because uh, unlike when the NWO first came into WCW, they start kicking everybody's butt. And when Vince, when they try to do it with, you know, the WCW guys going to WWF or WWE, as it were, uh, they didn't want to put them over. So it, it didn't get over. So, you know, but, they, you know, let's face it, they're they're the dominant, you know, when people talk about wrestling, like, well, like in this city here, um, we have the Pop Network, so Impact is on there tonight. Uh and uh, Ring of Honor is on the – uh, Sinclair has two stations here, and Ring of Honor is on one of their stations on Saturday night. And But most people – you know, if somebody will come up to me in the gym and say, hey, you used to be a wrestler, talk, let's talk about wrestling, and they'll say, well, you know, I, I, WWE's too goofy or whatever. I'll say, well, have you checked out Ring of Honor or uh, what's that? They don't even know it's on, you know. So WWE is the face of the industry. Whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, that's pretty much, you know, the way it stands. Yeah. Well, let's talk about something fun. So Bobby and Jerry can jump in here. By God. All right. Well, before we get started on on what we were going to talk about tonight, Bobby had mentioned uh, our uh, 
our correspondent from Montgomery, Alabama, Dennis Mitchell, and he's called in, so let me get him on the line with us real quick. Dennis, you there? Yes, sir. How y'all doing tonight? Good having y'all back. Doing great, doing great. Well, Mr. Les Thatcher, it's a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Sometimes I email you on Facebook, and I appreciate the job that you did on Southeastern Wrestling with Charlie Platt. You did a good job announcing, which I do greatly appreciate the job that you did. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate you saying that. You're welcome, sir. I want to ask you about the NWA, what you were saying about Billy Corgan taking over the NWA. Yes, sir. In five years, do you think he'll do a lot better than Dixie Carter ever did with, with TNA or not? Oh, my God. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Jarrett said it best uh, when she walked in to take over and said, I've never seen a wrestling show before. So. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, yeah. I, well, you know, I, I think – if they take their time, Dennis, they'll build. You know, it's never going to go back to what it was, but they can make it a, a decent secondary promotion. Uh, I think it's just been, yeah. you know, before Corrigan got his hands on it, I think it was mishandled. I, I, Bruce Tharp is, is, I get along with Bruce, but I think it became uh, his place, so he wanted to be a heel manager when he grew up, and so he bought a promotion and became a heel manager, and I think that, actually took precedent over a, a lot of what could have been done with the company. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's – I think it would be a promotion that, you know, you might put 1,200, 1,500 people in a building, but I don't know where they're going with that. He's talking about, you know, a timeline uh, of, you know, no no particular set time. And so – but I, I think that's, you know, um, if they t- – the way they got this thing up for sat- last Saturday – with the title, if they continue now, they're doing a seventieth. I can't talk the seventieth uh, NWA anniversary in Nashville, um, October twenty second or twenty third or something like that, in the old uh, in the uh, Fairgrounds Coliseum because they're tearing that down to make room for a soccer facility or something. But anyway, uh, yeah. I think that's where Cody and and. Uh, Aldis are going to have their their first return match, uh, and I don't know. You know that place I think holds probably between three and four thousand. I'm not real sure, but uh, I would guess you know with two months to build, uh, it, they should be able to do that. I'm guessing. Yeah, well, they man. do it overnight. All oh, they got to do is, is announce George Goulas as a special referee, and they'll sell sell every ticket oh, they can boy. print. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm glad. I'm. I was kind of glad I never got to see George Gillis wrestled. He was a little before my time, you know, and and all that. I want to ask Les one other question. I'll hang up and listen to the rest of the show. I want to ask Les. Once Vince McMahon passes on, y'all might not live long enough to see it. Where do you think WWE will go? Will it be worse or better off? Well, I I, I I think the industry as a whole has to turn the. The clock back. Just when I say this, I don't mean that they have to get away from all the acrobatic stuff or get away from the comedy. But I think they have to give you a, you know, say in, a, in an eight-match card, they got to give you a couple matches right. that uh, they at least can suspend your disbelief and just change things up a little bit. You know, circus is closed. Uh, you know, Ringling Brothers is closed. Vaudeville's been dead for right. a lot of years. 
And I, I think, you know, you, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I watch America's Got Talent to see honest emotion in some of the contestants, you know. Uh, but that, to me, that's what's missing in our business is uh, when I do these training camps, uh, that's the things that uh, most of the legitimate trainers work on is facial expression, body language, and how to tell a story. Uh, more so than how many dives can you do or how many rotations can you do off the, uh, you know, off the top turnbuckle. So, uh, I, but but there again, you know, Vince has got his network. He's got the merchandise. Uh, Fox just spent a billion dollars to to put SmackDown on their station and uh, or on their network in in two in next either next year or the following year. And uh, USA, you know, his uh, renewed Raw, and that's so. I don't see, you know, short of somebody just coming up and getting a hell of a gambling problem and going through millions and millions of dollars, I don't see how WWE can fail, honestly. You know, at least not in my lifetime. Yeah. I was just wondering about that. Well, guys, it's good talking to you tonight. I'll listen to the show. Y'all have a good week. Y'all keep up good work. I appreciate everything y'all do. Thank you. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks, Dennis. Well, what I wanted to... uh touch on tonight was the because uh, you guys were were all there and so we've got different perspectives as far as the uh i guess probably the biggest thing that ever affected wrestling here in atlanta in the state of georgia was was the split between uh, uh the nwa office and, and what became gunkle sports now just so i've got my timeline when when ray died was but he's still here, or had he already swapped his shares of Florida with Les, and Les Welsh was up here? Hell, they were both in and out. When I, you know, I, I came down and, and worked in the office and, and did the TV uh, in 73 and part of 74. And honestly, uh, I don't know if, if Buddy kept part of that or not, but Buddy was in and out of the office with some regularity, too, as well as as Lester. So. I don't know if if you know if if they it was a complete switch over or whether they just split up however many shares one of them had. I don't know. Well, it could have been like Florida and just sold 150 uh, percent of shares. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> but uh, so Ray, just to give a little background for those that are listening, Ray Uncle and Buddy Fuller were the primary. Owners of the territory, with with Ray having, I guess, the majority share, and Paul Jones had his part of it, and Ray and Fred Ward was in there too, wasn't he, Bobby? And, you know, and, and I'm going back now, understanding that I wasn't part of the clique or inside. I was a kid running errands, but but I, but I'm pretty sure Fuller was gone at the time. Paul Jones, Ray Dunkel, Fred Ward. A guy named Bill Hartman. Uh, God, there was another guy. I can't call his name. But never saw Fuller around. Never saw any of the Welches around. Uh, never, never, never met Lester Welch till till just before the split. Just before the split, Lester came in here, and I and I and I I worked some of the little outlying towns selling tickets, doing different things, and. And I worked for him in a couple of those small towns, but you know, uh, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't see any of them in and out. And we're talking seventy-one, seventy-two when I was 
or uh, well before that even, you know, 69, 70. Of course, you know, there. when I was in the office there, uh, Watts was in. Well, you know, when Jack, when Jack Briscoe approached me about coming down uh, to work there, uh, he, I remember him, I think Timmy Woods had a piece. Now, I don't know what that piece entailed. Could have been two points or five points. I don't know. It wasn't know. much. It wasn't yeah. much. Jack, Jack, I don't know if Jerry even had a piece at that point, but I know no. Jack did. But, when I, when I, I think, went to work I think for Buddy Barnett, Colt may have had a piece of it. When I went to work for Barnett, Watts had some of it. If I'm not mistaken, Tim Woods and, and Buddy Cole had two and a half percent apiece. Okay. That that number sticks in my head for some reason. Jack had a piece of it. Uh, let's see, Jack Watts, Fred Ward, Barnett, Paul Jones, uh, and a guy named Jim Oates. And Jim Oates was a personal friend of Barnett's that Barnett controlled his interest, but but he had a piece of it too. You're right. I forgot about him, but I met him once. But he wasn't yeah. around at all. He was just no, no, no. He was he was actually vice president of Container Corporation of America. He lived on uh, whatever that big street is by Lake Michigan in Chicago. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of the name of it either. But yeah, that was. Lower Lower Wacker Avenue. What? I think it's Wacker Avenue runs it runs by the lake here from my whatever whatever that main drag is there, that's where he lived. But yeah, it was uh you know, you're talking about Buddy and Lester, you know, when the split came and, and I was not over there, but you, you we would see them. I think everybody in the world that, that thought they might get a part of it came through. <laughs> <laughs> That's a possibility. That's a possibility. Now, Jerry, where were you when the when the actual split happened? You were still in Montgomery, weren't you? Or finishing up in, in Montgomery, Montgomery but I was at? already but I was already booked to come in here before it split. And what a mess! What a mess! What a mess! Well, you know, you have to think about it though. For the for the fans in in Atlanta, it had to have been heaven because you had the All South group that had all of the familiar names and faces, including, you know, Ed Capwell, who had done TV for years, uh, and then the NWA office was starting to bring in. I don't want to say name people because of the you know. Most of the fans here, unless they read the magazines, didn't know half who half these people were. But you still had, you know, you had, you know, a, a fresh batch of people coming in. You had, uh, but you know, they were Gordon top Soli talent coming in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, they were pulling from all over the country. I, I you know, I'm sure Hardhat came in and did did shots here, and, and you know. And the Grams were up here from Florida, and along with you know Bobby Shane and, and people like that. Um, and then Jerry, I know you started. You went with All South for a week, and then ended up back over in the NWA office. I think you right. and Roberto Soto did about about the same time. Um, yeah, I'm, but I'm glad I did. Who was? But- was there, was there anybody? They brought Sterling Brewer over from Birmingham, didn't they, for for a brief period before Gordon came in? I don't uh, know. Did they? Yeah, he did. He did a couple of the TVs. He didn't do many, but he did a couple. That's uh, uh, Les, how, how long was it before you came in, Les? 
I came in in 70, well, uh, the first TV that Gordon and I did together before I moved there uh, was the Saturday after uh, Jack beat Harley in Houston for the title. Because that's out on YouTube. That was, was it June or uh, July? July of 73. 73. And, yeah, because there's a match uh, of Watts and and, uh, Tim uh, under the hood uh, uh, on YouTube that Gordon and I are calling. And that's that's the first day we worked together. And Jack, because Jack had flown in um, the night, uh, night before that morning. Uh, to, you know, to be on TV uh, to show the belt and everything, and we pulled a rib on him. Not the guys in the business rib or anything. Uh, he was uh, after after we finished taping. We were uh, Gordon and, and Jack and I were standing in the hallway at the TV station and just talking in general. You know, and and uh, Jack says, "Boy, I'm I'm nervous with it. because this was the first time that what's called now the ten pounds of gold." That was the first time that right. belt had ever seen the light of day. Was when Harley, uh, when Jack got it from Harley that Friday night in Houston. Anyway, Jack said, "I'm nervous," and Gordon said, "Why are you nervous?" He said, "Because Sam, meeting Sam Muchnick, hadn't insured this belt yet, so it's not insured, you know." And so we went on with the conversation, and somebody on down the hall called called to Jack. He said, "I'll be right back." So he walked on down there, but that case that the belt was in was sitting down and Gordon looked at that box and looked at me and I looked at him and he said should we and I said why not so that we were standing right by an office door and it was unlocked and, and so he pulled the door open set the box in the, inside the office and shut the door and we're standing there talking and Jack came back and he said man I, I'd love to hang out but he said I gotta go I gotta catch a plane wherever he was at on Saturday night I had to defend the title and uh, so he start, He said, where is it? And Gordon said, where's what? He said, the belt. Gordon said, well, I don't know. Didn't you take it down there with you? No, he said. <laughs> and you could see the blood start to drain out of his face. Right? <laughs> uh, Sam, I've had this belt less 24 hours, and I lost it. What's it worth? <laughs> so short, short of him having a heart attack, Gordon finally re- <laughs> relented and opened the door and said, here's your belt. That's when it was still now, on the velvet, you, we, wasn't it? That's why it was. Yeah, it was on the velvet. Wasn't it on the, that was when they first put it on that velvet, that red, uh, whatever that was. Yeah, yeah. correct. Correct. Yeah, and then it, and that lasted about six months, and they figured out it was when it started molding and mildew, and that's when they went to the leather. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you another thing I remember about that particular Saturday, too, is this young guy comes up to me, uh, good-looking kid, and says, Hey, Les, how are you? And I said, good. And I'm thinking, who the hell is this? And, and he could tell, I guess, that he said, you don't remember me. And I said, no, I don't think so. And he said, well, you gave me my first pair of boots. It was Ricky Gibson, but when I gave, I, I had an old pair of boots that I was going to toss out. We were in Lafayette, Louisiana, to, to TV, and he was helping his dad with the ring and stuff. And, right. he, hell, he was just about 13 or 14 years old at the time. And uh, I, I, he walked in, and, and Kirby and Hall and I were talking. I just got a new pair of boots, and I said, I guess I'm going to toss these things. And he said, could I have them? And I said, sure, if you want them. So, uh, but that's, that's the first time I'd ever seen Ricky work. 
and if they thought Robert was good, people who had never seen Ricky wouldn't know oh. good. Oh, yeah. Oh. Tremendous worker. Yeah, Where were you before you – were you in Charlotte or in Knoxville? Yeah. Yeah, that was – well, to to get me – that's just <laughs> – uh, Jack called me and, and said, you know, we're trying to in, infuse some some youth down here. And so we'd love to have you come in and, and do the TV with Gordon, work in the office, handle the programs and public relations and, and that sort of thing. And uh, so, you know, the offer was good. And, and so, but Jimmy didn't want me, Jimmy Crockett Jr. didn't want me to go. And so they're you know they're discussing this all back and forth, and Jimmy isn't isn't giving up. And so then one day my phone rings and it's Eddie Graham, and he said, uh, you know, we we want you uh, to help the TV in Atlanta. I said, yeah, I know. Jimmy Jimmy's against. It. He said, well, here's what we thought you you could do. Uh, you give your notice there in Charlotte and tell him you're coming to work, wrestle in Tampa for me. And then on your way to Tampa, you drop your furniture off in Atlanta and come on down to Tampa and wrestle for a month. And then you go back to Atlanta and start doing the TV with Gordon. And I'm thinking, you know, I had a, I had a great relationship with the Crockett family, period. And I wasn't interested in, in you know, in, in going around the, you know, behind their back to do something like that. But I'm thinking this, you know, it sounded like it was a hell of a deal and it was, you know, uh, something that that i wanted to try so anyway before i had to go and lie uh jimmy finally gave in to jack and said okay if you want him then he can go so that's how i ended up down there and jerry you were in an odd situation because you came back to the nwa office with your brother ted was was working for brand uncle how long had he been in the business because i know you guys were in Montgomery together not long. That's where he started. I don't know how he got over there. Um, I really don't. But he he hadn't been working long. He had a few matches. Let's see. Oh, no. That's right. Yeah, I guess he's just started completely over there, I guess. I don't know because um, I think he was. Yeah, he was already there uh, in Montgomery when I got there because I, I was in Mobile. And then I went right. there, and he was there, and then, then uh, we weren't there that long. And then I left first, and then he followed suit. So, but uh, Was Bill Golden running Montgomery at the time? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a shame about that place. That could have been a great little place, but. You know, that jug was more important, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's, why, that's why he got pretty much, you know, Lee ran him off from, from Louisiana because from he was Lee's booker down there when they first uh, moved into Louisiana in 64. And then uh, he just had issues with Billy Golden, and he ended up, but they, but they still all work together. I mean, they were all well, yeah. You know, branch I was going to say anyway. when when Kirby and Hall and I went in, when Kirby and I went initially into Louisiana in '66. Uh, well, Kelly was pretty much the booker, but uh, Bill was uh, well promoting Lafayette among I don't know what else you know he was doing, but uh, 
Kelly was the booker because I remember the first night yeah. we 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 started in Morgan City. Uh, you know, Kelly was uh, introduced himself as the booker at the time. Did you ever work for Golden as a booker anywhere left? No, I never did. Never worked for Bill as a booker. So, so I, I know when he sold Montgomery to Dennis Hall, Dennis had me come down and wanted me to sit in on his TV and see what I could, you know, what I thought about uh, to make it better, this or that, the other thing. And uh, Bill, in talking to Bill, with Dennis and I talking to Bill, one of the things Bill said, he said, I, I, I know one of the things I did wrong here, I pushed my kid too hard and burned him out, me and Jimmy. Right. Um, and I'm assuming true. he knew what he was talking about. I don't know. That was true. Yeah. But uh, I did not know he sold it to Dennis. Yeah, Dennis had it for a while, and uh, this is when Dennis uh, was married to Charlotte, uh, the uh, the girl from uh, Chattanooga, and they still had the house in Chattanooga uh, because I, I had flown into Montgomery and then drove went back to Chattanooga with them, <coughs> and uh, I'm, I don't remember what year that was, to tell you the damn truth. Well, but, um... Billy sold out in, I want to say sometime mid-'74. Because um, Lee started actually running there. Lee Ransom uh, started running there in 75, in, in the summer of 75, and he ran uh, through November of 75 and then came back in 76 and ran from March ran March and April in 76 and then came back and ran pretty much from July until the end of 77 when he sold out to Fuller. Well, that would so be the timeline then because uh, Fuller, uh, I started uh, pr- uh, producing TV for Fuller in Knoxville in November of 77. Or no, I'm sorry. I moved there in 77. In 74, Start producing the TV there in '74, and so because I remember I flew into uh, Montgomery, and then came back to Chattanooga and, and uh, stayed at uh, Dennis's house, and then they brought me into Knoxville uh, to do the TV there. Uh, so but when was, did Dennis have it? Huh? When did Dennis have it? When did he have it? Montgomery. Well, Montgomery, it had to be yeah. uh, late. Either in the fall of '74 or early '75 when he bought it, uh, I'm not sure. But I was, like I say, I started doing TV for Fuller in Knoxville in in uh, November of '74. So I was there every every weekend, Friday, Saturday, and, and went home. I went back to Charlotte on Sunday. Between November of '74 and November of '77, I was working. I was doing TV in both territories, working in the office in both territories. And passing myself on the friggin' highway. <laughs> there. there I go. Here I come. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So it had to be early, uh, late '74, early '75 when he bought it. I'm not sure exactly what the date. How was. long did he have it? Oh Christ! I don't know. He didn't keep it all that long. No, he he probably turned it over to Lee, and because Lee started running, and and uh, he ran his first card there in June of um, 75. Okay. Well, then uh, Dennis got it in uh, for probably uh, early fall or uh, of 74 
I'm guessing. And didn't keep it there. But I'm thinking part of that deal, too, was Nick was supposed to let him have some of the top guys out of Nashville, which, uh, as I recall, was just a a promise and never was fulfilled. Now, when Lee went back in in 77, the first card he ran there, uh, which was July 4th, But he was using, uh, it was a combination of um, Nick's guys, because Hickerson was there, and uh, a couple of other Nick's guys. But the main event was was the Sheik versus Fred Curry. So they came in from Detroit. Right. And Lee Lee had, you know, filled out with the the rest of his guys. Like Luke, I think Lucas was there, and, and, you know, Ricky Fields or whatever, but it was an but it only that 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 team up only lasted that first week. I guess that was just to establish it. But and kind of off subject of what we've been talking about, but I wanted to check your memory on uh, Louisiana. Do you remember Jimmy Thompson's arena where you guys wrestled in Alexandria every week? I remember the uh, it was yeah it was a nice. Uh, Building, I remember. Yeah, well, Jimmy Thompson was a—he was a business, you know, a real successful businessman there in, in uh, Alexandria, and was had his hands in everything. That that building, when he first opened it back in the uh, the late '40s, he actually had a rodeo arena attached to it as well, and he ended up something to do with the, the forestry department of the state of Louisiana, but. But the building itself burned down in, I want to say, 69, 70, something like that. And, uh, you know, back when they ran those ads, they never even, I guess everybody in Alexandria knew where it was. They didn't even have to put the addresses to where it was. So it's it's been real hard trying to locate where that building was. I just D- Didn't Sputnik's wife have something to do with the promotion there, too? Uh, yeah, after Jimmy Thompson sold out, uh, Midge, Mitch Monroe was the. I think Sputnik actually. She probably had the license. Sputnik was calling the shots there. Because she was she was the promoter of records. Mitch Bell was her name. <laughs> Whose phone is cutting in and out? out? That's not mine. It's not mine either. No, if I open a man, somebody. <laughs> Referee's got to take the heat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, you're talking about the split, and I've said this before. I, I I hated it happened for the guys that was involved, but it was the best thing in the world ever happened to me because it just it opened the door quicker than, uh, you know, I don't know that I would ever got in, maybe, maybe not, but the door opened, and and uh, it, it just, uh, it was my gateway into the, into the business full time, so. It worked out great for me, and 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 the good thing about it for me too was that Ann had. I mean, when all the talent went over with her, it was everybody that everybody knew. I was working with top talent. I was working with guys that were helping me and telling me, "Hey, do this, don't do this," you know. So uh, it was it was a great thing for me. Well, you know, that was one of the things that back then that if you you worked with uh, guys who were more experienced than you. 
they virtually walked you through. I mean, never mind, never in the dressing room, but I mean, half the time, you well, more than half the time, you weren't even in the dressing room with the guys you work with. But if, a, you know, one of the old heels was calling a spot, he'd say, turn this way, do this. I mean, you know, before he'd shoot you off or before they, you know, they'd start the spot. Uh, and that was, you know, I, I, I tell these kids today, they're, so much of it's, you know, these kids are all at the same level, so they don't know if they're screwing up or not screwing up. And we had the benefit of, uh, you know, uh, working with a lot of veterans who, uh, hell, every night was uh, going to school. Yep. My son, about a month ago, he was approached by an independent group that wanted him to referee. And it's something he's always wanted to do, and I think he wanted to do it because I did it. And he called me, and he said, Dad, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you give me any advice? And I said, well, if, if, if I could give you anything, it'd be this. The guys don't know what they're doing either. Stay out of the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, stay back, stay out of the way. I said, if they both happen to wind up on the mat, then you can get a little close to them. But, you know, I can't tell you what to do because I don't know what they're doing, and they don't either. You know, that's uh, James Beard brought up a point uh, the other day about on these, you know, uh, that they they have in they have referees that don't know how to referee, and I said it's kind of like back when you were playing Sandlot baseball as a kid, right? You took the worst baseball player and put him in right field because there weren't a lot of left-handed hitters, so he couldn't screw up too bad, right? And, and I think now a lot of these schools take a kid that, you know, doesn't have any athletic ability, uh, and they'll say, okay, you're a referee, but they don't know how to make him a referee. They don't know how to teach him to be a referee. And, uh, you know, I watch a lot of these guys, and they, you know, uh, they'll go for uh, the guys that work in, the wrestlers will go for a pin, and they'll fall down at the guy's feet that's being pinned and can't even see his shoulders, and one of his shoulders Count is up. the cheeks of his butt out, yes. Yeah, that <laughs> I, uh, that drives me nuts. You see the guy's shoulder is, you know, there's three or four inches between his shoulder and the mat, one of his shoulders, and the referee's counting anyway. and well, Or they never get inside to, you know, like to check uh, for a choke or this or that. They Hell, they, it's almost like... Uh, you'd think the the damn wrestlers must have flu or something and he don't want to catch it. They're afraid of them. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, and here's another one that gets me and, and, and my personal soapbox. One of the last shows I ever refereed, I worked, went to work for Ted Allen and, and guys didn't know what they were doing. And one guy looked at me and he's, we're in the ring and he looks at me and he goes, look at that lady on the front row. And I looked at him and I went, no, and he looked at, oh, he was hot. He said, why not? You won't let me get any heat. And I said, I'm not stopping yes, but I'm not going to watch her. I'm paid to watch you. And when we got in the dressing room, I told him, I said, bud, I said, have you ever seen a major league umpire turn around and ask the guy in the front row? You think that was a strike? I said, thank you. You know, you just, I don't know. Uh, you know, we, we were, you're right, we took a lot of heat sometimes for things, but that was what we were supposed to do. But, you know, I wasn't going to act stupid. Well, the referee, a good referee made made a good match better, made a bad match good. I mean, they, you know, but that's what I say. These guys, uh, they don't have a clue. I, I walk guys through. Uh, I will put guys, 
show them how to work a referee in a tag match. Because how many times on these indies, if you, you, you Bobby, you you show up at some of these, uh, that you'll see the referee turn around before the heels got anything. And I oh, said, yeah. baby, the baby faces the referee's eyes. Don't let him turn around. That's exactly oh, right. really? And they, like, they've never heard any such thing before, right? <laughs> but, you know, that's one of the things, too. Tom Pritchard and I have talked about this several times over the last few years. We teach things that were never taught to us, that we were just expected to know. Yeah. And it's uh, it's it's a whole different ball game. Whole different ball game. But you know the the thing about that fascinated me while I was in Atlanta during the war was uh, we'd sell out that auditorium on Friday night. They'd sell it out on Tuesday night. We'd sell it out on Friday, and they'd sell it out on Tuesday. I mean, everybody was drawn, for Christ's sake. Yep. About the first year and a half, that's the way it was. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, as far as I know, we were all doing good in all the other towns, too. We did, we did good in Augusta, the auditorium, and then when we lost that contract... And we moved out to that old bowling alley. Things kind of went south in Augusta. But, you know, given an option of going to that auditorium or the bowling alley, I'd have went to the auditorium too. Yeah, it's, uh, well, yeah, I remember, uh, well, a lot of the towns. Jerry, where was, we did, a, you guys, that you and Billy Spears worked an angle in some small town on Saturday night that I was special, Leo booked me a special referee for. Well, you remember where that was at? That'd be Griffin or Carrollton, one or the other. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember either, but I remember. I, the re, and one of the reasons I remember because I learned so. Leo was one of the sharpest people in the world. I don't give a damn. Without a doubt. You know that was that man was a brilliant uh, when it came to stories and angles and and uh, finishes. Man, he was the. Anyway, we were in the office, and he's you know he had told me a couple of days before. And so he told me what he wanted in a finish for you guys' match because you know you you guys this is like your third time or something wasn't it you were anyway you were blowing it off and uh, so I said what do you want me to do for the rest of the card? He looked at me he said how long have you been in this business? I said uh, about thirteen years. Do you know any finishes? I said yes sir. Well that's why I'm sending you up there. Right? <laughs> okay, but you. But, you know, that was the thing, too, with me. Uh, you know, if you want me to be your puppet, I, I can operate, but not nearly as well as if you give me my head sometimes. But, like, it's that situation, I was – I remember there was a girls' match on the show. I don't remember how many matches. But, anyway, I was going to do the best damn job I could because he was entrusting me with that. And, uh, you know, and, what, and the first day I w- was in that office, in the old uh, office, and uh, – he said, let's go to lunch. So anyway, we're sitting talking at lunch, and he told, he said, uh, you know, the bottom line here, Les, is the guy that started this whole war will be be running this office here in the next few years. He called it. And sure That's enough, Tom was, wasn't he? The, the, you know, the, I've been listening to all this talk about the matches and guys today and that. You know the new NWA and all like that. If 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 Eddie Graham could come back and Leo could come back, and Graham could take any of these guys, I don't know, Les, if you ever heard Eddie Graham give a finish 
Yes. You would actually think he was talking Chinese. I don't know how long <laughs> you've been in the business. I know I was a referee when I first started. They used to let me come to Tampa and referee. And I learned a lot just refereeing in Tampa because you can imagine the talent there. I mean, it was just, they let me referee those main events, and Eddie would give those those finishes. You would, you, you, I mean, even Murdoch was shaking his head. They were long drawn out, weren't they? Oh, and you, but every uh, it was, it was it, it, to watch him do that. It was a work of art, man. It was a work of art. And I've wrestled in a lot of places and been around a lot of good bookers, bad bookers, bookers that had no difference, not even shouldn't even had a funny book, much less in the hand, much less a booking, a territory book. But he 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 was the best I'd ever seen. Yeah, Eddie and Leo to me the overall overall Booker Leo his his he oh my gosh you worked for George Scott some in Charlotte didn't you yes George was a good Booker too yes yes and I was shocked I was shocked shocked about what him being a good Booker oh okay I I thought it was about something. Uh, not, not really. Uh, it didn't, I don't know. It just, it didn't really surprise me. Um, you know, I I use, you know, when they talk about, you know, how things are now, the young guys will sit down and and get in a conversation and how you can't change things. And I said, but I'll use that as a story because I remember John Ringley and I standing in the parking lot at channel three in Charlotte after TV on Wednesday evening. And he basically said, George is going to kill the territory and build it back. And he had told them that if you give me the book, that's what I'm going to do. Because uh, for those listening, the Carolinas was was strong tag team territory for years and years and years and years. And uh, he was going to turn it, you know, where he was going to push more singles. Uh, mostly the single, uh, if there were single matches on top, in a Charlotte town before George Scott got the book, it was like a singles, uh, Mid Atlantic singles title, or or like you know Dory or Terry or one of the champions came to town to work with whoever. Uh, that's the only time usually a single match would be the top match because usually it'd be at least two tags, and some of the best tag teams in the country were centered in that damn Charlotte. But yeah, so Ringley said George's going to kill the territory and build it back, and and I remember. Uh, well, with Valentine, uh, again, for those who are listening and don't know, Greg's father, John, uh, he was so methodical, and, and what a hell of a heel, talking about getting heat. Uh, but it took him 20 minutes to get warmed up. And I remember when they first started pushing him as a top heel, uh, there were people who, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, like weekly front row people, you'd see him getting up, leaving early because that you know it was that the way he the way he worked. They weren't used to it. Was it. that boring? Yes. And, and a year later, though, they wouldn't get out of that seat to save their life. Right. Because you know, and George did exactly what he said he was going to do. He basically tore the territory down and, and build it again from scratch. So that's, you know, when these kids will say, well, it, this is the way it is. And I said, well, it wasn't always been this way. It got this way, and it can get another way. And it probably well, will at some point. That, when they huh? tell you that, when they tell you that this is the way it is today, ask them how much money did they make last week doing it. 
Ask them could they make a living doing it, and the answer is no. Most of them. Well, unless you're working for one of the big companies, no, you can't. Very I don't, few I don't, guys. Yeah, you know, I don't see how you can make a living if you aren't working for New York. I mean, I just don't see it. I just, I just don't see it. I mean, well, you know, these guys will do it for eight dollars or free. You know. I well, just, you know, here's the crazy thing. Uh, we, it's been a year since we've done any of this together. Uh, last November, I was invited to the Performance Center in Orlando as a guest coach for a week. And having having worked, having had a developmental territory back in 2001 and 2002, uh, I was, you know, obviously understood the politics of the company and this and that and the other thing. But I said, sure, I, I, I'd love to come down. Now, here's the crazy thing. When I went in and said, is there anything that you, I need to know that I should be doing or, on the other hand, shouldn't be doing? And they said, just do what you do, you know, uh, impart informa- you know, uh, information. And we're going to put you with the two, uh, two uh, Terry Taylor and, and Steve Carino's groups because they're the more advanced and they'll understand more, you know, what you're offering. And uh, I was there a week, had a great time. They teach the same basics there that I, you know, that uh, that we learned, you know, a hundred years ago. Uh, it's just the disconnect comes when they move up. If you if you watch NXT, and I don't have the network, but I uh, a guy I do a talk show with occasionally, uh, you know, will send me links to particular matches he wants me to watch. They're more serious in NXT, you know, the uh, developmental down there in Orlando. In terms of uh, you know more of what we you know you'll see more wrestling that we would understand opposed to you know all the shtick and and the waving and and this and that it's just when they move up to the main roster is where the you know that's the big disconnect between Orlando right. and Stanford. I was yes, surprised well, too. That's amazing. Hmm. Michael, because the, the, the fan base is different. Well, it's it is different, but you know that's the one thing that any legitimate and there are a lot of illegit there are a lot of people try to call themselves trainers in this business that need to be trained or need to have their asses kicked. One of the two, I'm not sure which, but uh, they're taking people's money and, and they're teaching them all wrong. But that's one of the things that. Like Rudy Gonzalez and, and Texas Wrestling Academy, or Dr. Tom, or myself, or Rip Rogers up at OVW, uh, you know, the fundamentals are still the fundamentals. How Jerry broke in in '70 and I broke in in '60, and et cetera, et cetera, that's not changed. You know, you do a hammerlock the same way, you take a bump the same way. Uh, if you actually learn how to tell a story, you're going to, you know, uh, hell, a story's a story, right? It's got a beginning and a middle and an end. And those are all the, you know, the foundation is always going to be the same. The hell of it is when uh, you you go around and do some of these camps. Like we had, you know, I mentioned being at Norcross uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, And it's at every camp I do. I don't care if it's in San Antonio, Atlanta, uh, Charlotte, or where. There's always going to be a few kids that will tell you, I've been wrestling five years. And you you watch him for two minutes and think, did he say five minutes? Because Exactly. They've worked with some jackass who's told them now you're a wrestler, and and they they worked with us for a weekend, and they, oh my God, this is a whole different thing, isn't it? 
but that's the problem. They're buying price, you know. And I don't know where you. Where, I don't know where you can buy a, a Cadillac for the price of Chevrolet, but I want one too if you can get it. Um, but that's what they're doing. These kids are. Well, you know, it's like if one of us tells somebody, "Hey, I can send. I send emails and know how to uh, surf the net." So I'm a computer expert. Give me a five hundred dollars. I'll teach you to be one too. And if they don't know anything about a computer, as far as they know, we made them an expert till they actually get with an expert. And then they yeah, find out all. Oh, and then find the website. Yeah, I mean. That's... Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and boys, the sad thing is that's the problem with the independence at that level is there's too many play babies, and and part of those play babies are are promoters, and the and part of them are co- are supposedly trainers, and they're not. These you know some yeah, guy. Yeah, really sad. It is. Some guy gets his tax return, uh, you know, in, in June, and oh, I got some money back. I'm going to buy a ring. And rent a building? By God, I'm a wrestling promoter. And what's your background? I watched wrestling since I was 14 years old, by God. Uh-huh. Well, then you qualify for something. I'm not sure what, but, <laughs> you know, it's 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 crazy. I'm telling you. It's uh, it's a con. So many guys are running a con, you know. It is. It's a sham. I mean, it, 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 I've, I've had, I don't know how many guys want, since I've been here in Savannah want me to train them. Not, nope. You won't, nope. You, you don't, uh, nope. Why not? I just not. Why not? I'll tell you why. Because you could never make enough money to even, uh, you couldn't make enough money for what you paid me in 10 years. I said, I can't send you anywhere. Where am I going to send you? I mean, where would I send somebody out of Savannah to rest? You got a point. Well, you know there are. Yeah, and so, I mean, so you know, what I've done, I've, I've taught them a craft that they can never make a living with. It's, it's, I mean, I can't. Somebody one day would come back and shoot me. And they would almost <laughs> have a right for stealing from them. <laughs> I, I doubt mean, that, Jerry. You're, you're, you're too lovable to be shot. It's but. the truth. Though. I mean, I, I'm just being honest. No, I, mean, I know I, you are. I, I know you are. That's how much I love what we did. And well, I can't you know what? Back, I, and I can't I'd love back it too. What we did. Uh, but I can't Dan, get back to what we did. Yeah, Danny I mean, Davis and I, he started Ohio Valley Wrestling down in Louisville about the time that I, you know, a little ahead of me when I started up here with HWA. And uh, we were both elitist, right? If you didn't look like a wrestler, if we didn't think you had the athletic ability, we didn't want you in our gym. But then we saw these kids who you knew were never going to make it, but they were hobbyists, right? And that's the difference now, too, Jerry. There were no hobbyists back then. You know, right. these guys, it's like you and me renting a golf cart, getting a 12-pack and, and some clubs and going out and getting half drunk and hitting the ball around. We're never going to play with Tiger Woods, but we can call ourselves golfers. And there's kids that just want to say they're wrestlers. And, and so, anyway, uh, Danny and I, you know, used to run them off, and then we found out somebody's going to take their money, and at least if we take their money, they're going to learn the right way, you know. Yeah, but I understand. I, you know, and that's – but they're so damn – well, you, you, you could almost find any independent promotion in the country, and if they have a website, they'll tell you, uh, we train wrestlers. And the problem is you can only teach what you know, you know. That's the thing. Some of these kids uh, – yeah, I've, I've been doing this three years. I wrestled twice a month uh, in front of 75 people. And who did you wrestle against? Well, my my next door neighbor and my, my, 
right. my buddy from down the street. So whatever that is, you you know, and I tell guys, you know, I played a couple years of high school basketball. You want to pay me to get ready, get you ready for the NBA? I can't yeah, do really. it. You know, but I but I can say I was a basketball player because I was, you know, technically. But uh, like at I, what I, level? I went to a NASCAR race in Atlanta one year, and I'm sitting up there, and they, they, they you know, the guys are drinking, and I'm sitting behind me, and I'm I'm about to lose my mind. Just watch the race, you know. This this guy, one guy, kept talking about, I can do that, I can do that, I could, I could drive. I heard that about two hours, and I finally turned around and told him. I said, "Well, why are you sitting up here with me? Why aren't you down there driving a car 200 miles an hour around this track, moron? You know, it's the same thing. I, you know, it's everybody's got an answer for all this stuff. But I mean, I just well, you know, the problem today is with the you know with social media and stuff. You can be 110 pounds." Uh, and the most chicken-hearted fool in the world, but sitting behind that keyboard, you're the baddest ass walking, right? Oh, that's, that happens and, every day. So sure, you can call me people. names. You can, you know, uh, yeah, it's, you know, at first when I started doing shows like this, it would frustrate me because you get, you know, what does that old man know? Man, I left more wrestling knowledge in the bathroom this morning. You're probably out to have yeah, a lifetime. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. You'll never and, know. But uh, but they're experts because they've got Ric Flair's autograph. They've seen two New Japan shows, and they go to this uh, <laughs> flea market where their buddy wrestles in front of 50 people once a month. So, there my God, go. they know more than I do. This is world champion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tom, I, I get crazy, too. But you know what? Some of these little promotions actually say this is the ABC World Championship. And I think, what are you smoking? Because you know the people, the people that come to your show are coming because their brothers or sisters or next door neighbors wrestle here, and they know it's the only place where you have wrestling. And so, if your world consists of the city limits of whatever town you're in, then you're a world champion. You know, I mean, it's just you know, but but, but that's a difference too. We were all brought up at a time when you either respected it or somebody handed you your ass and made you respect it. You had two choices. And that would happen. Yes. That would happen. And now it don't happen because, any, you know, the door's open. I, I've told some of these kids, I said, listen, if you'd have had to go to Boston with me in 1960, uh, you know, I said, I started my training in February 1960. I had my first match July the 4th, 1960. I said, you know when they smartened me up? The morning of July the 4th. And they look at me like, are you nuts? <laughs> That's when they finally told me it's a work. I said, thank God. Hey, Les. Yes. You're about to hear the greatest line that's ever been uttered in the wrestling business. Jerry, tell him what happened when you locked up with Frank Hickey. You know Frank Hickey. <laughs> of course. I worked with him in Statesboro, Georgia. I hooked up with Frank Hickey. As soon as I hooked up with him, he said, Hey, kid, are you smart to the business? <laughs> well, I basically asked Terry Taylor that. He was uh, green as grass 
when Mulligan and Flair and Crockett uh, bought the Knoxville territory and called me to come back and, and handle their TV. I was down in Pensacola with Ronald. And uh, so anyway, I was taking some of these young guys down to the Coliseum on Friday because the ring was set up early to work out. And the first time I locked up with, with Terry, I thought, you're going to knock me in the middle of the first row for Christ's sake. I said, Jesus, anybody mention to you this is a work? <laughs> 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 Well, you know, he uh, he still laughs about that. He tells people that day when I when I went to Orlando last November, he was telling the guys, "Yeah, first time I locked up with Les, he he didn't know I knew how to work." And I said, "I'm not sure you still do." <laughs> but yeah, well, you know, that's the thing. Cornette says years ago there were a lot of tough guys that never hurt each other. He said today there's no tough guys, but these kids beat the crap out of each other. And for, but it's true. You know what? I'll lock up. Uh, I'll lock up with some of these kids, or put like just put a headlock on some of these kids, and I'll say, "Has anybody ever worked this loose with you?" No. You know, I mean, it's. You know, I I I, I tease them, but sometimes they'll lock up so stiff, and I'll smack. I say, "Are you mad at me?" No, sir. I said, "Well, then loosen up for Christ's sake." I said, "Christ, I've worked with some legitimate badasses: Danny Hodge, Harley Race." Uh, Pat O'Connor, uh, that I never knew were there, right? And that's this 150-pound kid exactly. locks up like he is uh, Muhammad Ali or something. I don't know. Different world. It sure the hell is, Gerald. It sure the hell is. It's just a totally different world than we need. So. It, it, you know, but like I say, we we made a living, but we had fun. I mean, we we had to, like I said earlier, we had to be in the, in the dressing room an hour before the first match went in the ring. Uh, you know, there were certain guidelines, but it wasn't like, you know, um, well, like with the Crockett's, you you wore a coat uh, and tie to TV into the big coliseums. Otherwise, hell in Florida, you wear flip flops and shorts. Right, and. Uh, that's uh, you guys. Uh, Jerry slept in in uh, in the car one night in Tallahassee. And uh, I cannot believe you even remember the town. <laughs> of course, I remember <laughs> the town. <laughs> Tell him the story, Jerry. It was, he he was with he was with Danny Miller and I. And and was Farber with us? Yeah, far, I don't know if he was, uh, but. We we put him in the in the we put him in a room with Ken Farber. Farber well, we was a referee out in Amarillo, and this yeah. man snored so bad, and I don't even know whose car we were in. Danny, I think so. I don't remember either. And I well, they got up the next morning. I'm the, I'm asleep in Danny Miller's car in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> they were laughing. He, they knew. They knew. Of course we knew. <laughs> welcome welcome to professional wrestling. <laughs> oh hell. But we had fun. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, and you talk about just the miles we did in a week. You know, there's some miles down in Florida. Well there's some you now you work Kansas City territory. Try yes. uh going to Dodge City, Hastings, Nebraska. I did that. 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you, Kirby and I one time in 63, we went, we, we worked St. Joe on Friday, drove all night to get to Minneapolis to do Vern's TV on Saturday. I never did all that. Yeah, and then uh, went down to Waterloo. Now, Vern was doing two TVs at the time, whatever for whatever reason, I have no idea. Went down to Waterloo for, for Sunday TV for, for the Kansas City office. That was... Uh, Waterloo TV was live Sunday night, 11 to midnight, believe it or not, in Waterloo, Iowa. Yeah. Uh, And then we went back to Minneapolis, did Vern's second TV on Monday. Then we drove and got into Kansas City. Then I think from there I went to, I think, uh, Wichita, and then back, and then went to Dodge City, and then to Hastings, Nebraska. And uh, by the time I was punch drunk by the end of the week, <laughs> where the hell was that? <laughs> but you know what? You work you work that damn Oklahoma territory for watch. You guys lived in your cars for Christ's sake. Did you ever work that territory? No, I I was able to skip it without making anybody mad in case I needed. To. I never burned the bridge. When when Ernesto was booking there, he you know uh, he uh, asked me if I wanted to come in. And I had a good reason not to. I don't remember what it was. Tom, book where? Tell tell about a, a good week in, in the Oklahoma Territory, Jerry. Okay. I said I'd never go there either, but I wound up there. Uh, Monday, all right, I lived in Shreveport. Monday, I'd be in Tulsa. That's 350 up there and 350 back. Tuesday, if I wasn't in Shreveport, I'd be in Alex City. That was like 140 down there and 140 back. Wednesday, we did TV. Leave there, go to Jackson, Mississippi, which was uh, 200. Leave there, drive to New Orleans that night, which was like, I think, 100 and a half, something like that, 175. Wrestling New Orleans, drive to Lafayette. Uh, Friday, Friday. That was like, I don't know. That was a short trip, wasn't it? That was short. Yeah, Lafayette, like, uh, New Orleans, Lafayette, what, about 100 miles? Yeah, 100, 100 and a quarter. Then yeah. that night, we finished in, in Lafayette, drive back to Shreveport. That was like 250, 240. Do TV in Shreveport, do two tapes. Now, you could go a lot of different places from that TV on Saturday. You could drive back down to La Ronja, if y'all know where that is. Mm-hmm. That's that was a good little town, La Ronja. That's right. It's, it's, it was, uh, it was uh, east of New Orleans, 330 miles back down there. And then Sunday night, you would be in Homer. Then you would drive from home on Sunday night back to Shreveport, which was 350. <laughs> and then Monday you was back in Tulsa, which is another free free because so that's 700 miles two days. And then so you nobody has back. to ask me why I skipped going to that territory. <laughs> and that those and some were even longer. But you know what? I didn't mind it. It was a great crew. We had a great crew out there, and I and, and I love. Not many guys will say this, but I love working for Watts. 
I love oh, working Bill, for Bill. Yeah, Bill didn't bite. He was, you know, he was a yeah. He, he, was he, he wrong. I never if had problems. If you did what you were supposed to do, if sure. you did what you were supposed to do, you got no problems. You know, that's what I've told guys. They've said, you work for Cornette, and you work for Ole, you work for Watson. I said, yeah, you don't want them to yell at you? No. Well, then do what they ask you to do. That's all. It's that simple. Now, let me ask you about LaRanger. Was that the, the building that stood out in the middle of nowhere? The family? <laughs> yes. You, you know, know what? We had uh, – Kirby and I against Fargo or Jack Dalton, if you want to call him that at the time, and Kenny Lucas, we had a riot in that place where uh, a well, I don't doubt it. two off-duty, well, this two off-duty high, uh, Louisiana Highway Patrolmen in uniform. We, you know, you went. I don't know if you guys did, but we went back to the dressing room there between falls. And so Luke and, and Fargo were headed down their aisle, and Kirby and I were headed down ours. And some woman threw a uh, popcorn on on Kenny, and uh, Kenny just like with his finger, you know how you flip something like that off, right? And never paid any attention, and it hit the, hit the one cop. They were sitting aisle and one seat in, on the heel side, and uh, the the popcorn hit the cop in the face, and he come up and sucker punched Fargo, and it was on. You know, so, You're kidding me? No. It, it, so, so anyway, Kirby and I, 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 I got, a, I got with Luke and was trying to cover him and get him back to the damn dressing room, and, and Kirby had Fargo, and I got Luke within, uh, oh shit, I don't know, five, six feet of the heels dressing room door, and somebody threw a chair over my shoulder and it, and it just grazed Luke. And he said, you son of a bitch, and he took off past me. And I thought, oh, my God, Kenny, now i got to go drag your ass out of there again, right? So we never – that was – I mean, we just got the one fall in because, uh, you know, Kirby and I told the, uh, the guy that, that ran the thing, I can't remember his name, it don't matter, uh, you know, if the cops can start beating on the wrestlers, then it's open season <laughs> unless you can guarantee the heels going back out there you know, without getting cut or uh, nailed with chairs or something, we're not going out there either. You know, but yeah, that was in Larager. Let's see if this, this rings a bell to you, Les. Huh? <laughs> Let's see if this rings a bell to you. December twenty ninth, nineteen sixty six, the Larager Coliseum in Larager, Louisiana. <laughs> <clears throat> the main event was a Russian roulette battle royal with Danny Little Bear, Jack Dalton, Frank Dalton, Bob Kelly. Ken Lucas, Les Thatcher, and Roger Kirby. I recall. And, <laughs> yes. And uh, the, the, the bell time was at 8.30, and from 6.30 to 8.15 was free music by the satellites. Yeah, that was, they had that band on stage there all the time, yeah. <laughs> but it was, well, I don't know about when, when uh, you were there, uh, Jerry, but uh, they used to, of course, and the boys abused it, but they, their kids would work both dressing room doors, and if you needed, uh, they they supplied towels and shampoo and soap in the dressing rooms, and I thought, my God, <laughs> what's this about? And and you know, if you wanted a, a, a coke or a beer or popcorn or a hot dog, the kids would run and get you those. And then some of the idiots, of course, abused that and say, "Well, I'll take a six pack to go," or something, you know. <laughs> or, or, or something, or end up deciding they needed one of the towels that they were supplying for you to take a shower with, 
and uh, they I guess they finally stopped doing it. But yeah, that was a you know the first time Kirby and I had pulled in front of that building, we thought it was a rib because now Jerry can t- uh, verify this. It was out no middle of nowhere, wasn't it? The middle of nowhere. It actually wasn't in LaRanger, but when you drove out there, here sits this, you know, this, well, it's, I guess you call it a small coliseum. They had da- uh, dances and all sorts of things in there, I guess. But uh, Kirby looked at me and I, he said, is this a rib? I said, I don't know. But they drew well, didn't they? Yeah, they did draw, yeah. It was amazing. It, it was yeah. absolutely amazing. It was. That, that six-man match you were just talking about was on January 12th of 67 <clears throat> with Lucas and the Daltons against the Cousins. Especially oh, yeah. Danny Little Bear. Well, you know, in, ba- in Baton Rouge, we had uh, we had a 90-minute match because of, of a timekeeper screwing up. Talk about people believing Kirby and I were working with the Daltons for the uh, NWA U.S. tag team belts, and uh, we, uh, we we split falls, and we were going through an hour. And I guess Lee had told uh, I I don't remember who the timekeeper was, but I guess obviously he was smart. And Lee told him if you see a good spot to cut a couple minutes off, it's okay. Cut a couple minutes off. And so anyway. Uh, we got doubled. We, I think maybe all four of us had juice. I'm not sure, but anyway, we're we're making a, a big comeback, and the and the bell rings. Well, the problem was he cut like five minutes off the match, and there were like four or five people in the audience that were keeping time too, and they caught it, and they were about to string up the damn timekeeper, right? <laughs> so. I mean, security had to get him out, never mind the, the heels or the referee. And uh, so that was the, the next week. I've got the newspaper clipping somewhere. 90-minute uh, uh, time limit, two timekeepers, just to be sure that one doesn't screw over the other. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, Mike mentioned Little Bear a while ago. When did you run across uh, Little Bear for the first time? In, in that ter- in Louisiana, when we first really? went there. Yeah, Kirby. Uh, Kirby had met him somewhere before that. And if you don't think had, Danny was good, just ask him. By God, he. I met <laughs> the first time I ran across him was in Kansas City in '74. Uh huh. And he was one of the weirdest guys I've ever been around. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, now he. You know he. And I was he, around some weirdos. He uh, he wasn't a great worker. It was the whole gimmick was the deal. He worked one night. They worked. He worked with Fargo and um, with, with Dalton Jack, and uh, they needed juice on the baby face. And I guess he thought it would be cool and just said, "Well, get it hard way, right?" For those who don't know, uh, no. you you got twenty five <laughs> extra bucks if you bladed, and you got fifty if you went if you hard way. Anyway, uh, so I don't know if Jack's uh, aim was just off that night or whether he did it on purpose, but he never did get juice on Danny, but he beat the living hell out of one eye. (laughs) He had the eye damn near closed. He must have hit him six times and finally realized he wasn't going to get the juice. By that time, Danny was punch drunk, (laughs) and 
had, but they I, just. I had that. That was the only territory I was ever around him in. I don't know where all he worked. I guess a lot of places. I don't know. Yeah. We're talking about we're talking about Little Bear. Yeah. 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 He was he was here, and I needed a set of tires. And we were sitting in the dressing room one night, and I said, uh, oh, he, he said get tires "I got to go to and get a set of tires." He said, "What kind do you want?" I said, "Well, I don't know." I said, "I said I just." Uh, he said, "What size?" And I told him. So the next day, I'm in the ticket office there at Sports Arena, and uh, he, he drives up his van. He dude the horn, motion for me, and I went outside. He opened the side door of that van. He had he had Michelin's, Coopers, <laughs> whatever kind you wanted. And I told him, I said, well, I'll take these here, and he, I got a whole set of tires for 100 bucks. I didn't ask no questions. I heard that. No, I forgot about that, Bobby. He could get tires out in Kansas City, too. Yes, sir, buddy. It, it, that was another thing about our business, too. Everybody knew somebody that could get you whatever you wanted. What was Frank? Frank that used to, what, when I when I came in in '73. Frank uh, he used to referee, but he wrestled some too. What the hell was his last uh, name? Frank Cochran. Cochran, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no relation to Daryl. No, uh, no. no. Uh, but, but I I needed a bedroom suit, and uh, so. <laughs> One day, uh, I, I rented from uh, Ann Bowman out in Forest Park. And one day, I knock on my door, and it's Frank. And I said, yeah, I want... He said, you want a bedroom suit? He said, come out here and look at this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I paid like 100 bucks or something. I don't even remember for a, you know, for a uh, bed and mattress, box spring, dresser. There was nobody still sleeping in the bed, was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> It was all new. I mean, it, yeah. you know, it was, you know, how they package it, you know, stuff like that up. I mean, like the, uh, you know, the headboard and stuff. And it was new. I don't know where it came from. Oh, yeah. Everybody <laughs> knew somebody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'll tell you, Bobby, what we did in uh, in the uh, NWA office that's never been done anyplace, and I don't know when they finally stopped it. But we had a, I don't know if you call it a slush fund, to help guys who were sick or got hurt. Right. They were doing it when I went over there in 74. Yeah, when it first started, it was me and uh, Johnny Walk, me and Wrestling 2 and Bob Armstrong were the, I don't know, the committee that decided whether you, you Yeah, know. John was doing it when I went over there. I think we gave, everybody gave five bucks a week or something. Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the deal. Yeah. And you're talking about somebody who I think, Bobby, you're talking about how fortunate he was because of the split. But I would think the person who's who benefited from that war more than anybody would be John Walker. I mean, he added another 15 years to his career by putting that hood on. Yeah. I mean, he yeah, had been a big him, name they in, brought, in Tennessee. Leo brought him out of Florida, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was yeah, maybe mid-card in Florida. Yeah. Lee, and well, you know that's another thing too. Too, too. Leo, Leo made some serious. I mean, I remember when I went in, first time I ever went in there. I'd been a big uh, Leo and Gino Garibaldi fan as a kid, right? Seeing them from L.A. when he was he was wrestling with his dad. He had a lot of fires as a babyface on his comebacks. Anyway, uh, Kirby and Hall were in Atlanta. I'd been in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and had come back in back here at home. And uh, was just you know looking around and had sent them a letter and and so they wrote back and said they really liked Atlanta would I be interested and I said sure 
So one day the phone rang here, and it was, and Kirby said, we're in the Atlanta office, and, and Leo Garibaldi wants to talk to you. So Leo got on the phone and said hello, and he said, these guys say you can work, can you? And I said, well, I hope so. I, I said, yeah, I think so. He said, well, we'd like to find out down here if, if you know, um, if you would like to come in. So that's that's how I first got to know Leo and got got and he and I hit it off really well. But uh I'll never forget when the first time the Capitol he had me interviewed on Atlanta T V he said, you know, you're you're just new here, you 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 uh uh aren't involved in anything. He said, the drag racing stuff that you sent me with the public relations he said, is that a shoot? And I said, Yeah. I said, hell, I was driving on a drag strip before I had uh, a driver's license. And so he said, well, I'll get Ed. Do you know anything about drag racing in Georgia, which I did because I'd raced NHRA and, and several of the top guys in the country were out of, you know, out of Georgia. So anyway, uh, Ed, Ed and I talked about it. And uh, so uh, when that TV showed in Augusta, it was this lady came up to me after my match and she said, uh, my grandson would like to meet you. I'll be right back with him. So she brought this kid was – probably 14, maybe 15 years old, and got my autograph. And and, and I said, uh, do you come to Bell Auditorium with your grandmother all the time? And before he could open his mouth, she said, no, he's never been here with me before, he, but he watches every Saturday. But when he talked, heard you talking about hot rods, he wanted to come meet you because that's his biggest hobby. And that's one of the things that when I decided to do the personality profile thing in, in 75 in Knoxville, uh, that crossed my mind. I'd sold a ticket, not about wrestling, but about my hobby, you know, basically. Isn't that something? Yeah. And so that's, you know, when I started doing the profile. And, uh, you know, and then everybody told me it wouldn't work, and it worked so well, a lot of people started using it too. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, – and then 60 – but in 66, first night in Atlanta, Kirby and I are going to work uh, – a tag team, and Leo said, now, he said, I don't want you to think I'm just going to, you know, start you looking at the lights. But this heel team is going to be my top heel team for a long time. And I had never met these guys. I don't know if Kirby had ever worked with them or not, but it was Gene and Lars Anderson. And so he said, I, I need to get these guys over. I said, sure, okay, not a problem. So we'd never worked together before. But we had that old auditorium rocking, man. Leo was referee in the match. And we, I mean, it was one of those nights you couldn't have screwed up if you'd have tried. You know, <laughs> I mean, everything was just right. The timing was right. They had plenty of heat, and, and we were full of fire on the comeback. And Leo, I remember Leo coming around and saying, we're not wasting this. We're changing the finish and bringing it back next week. And I that tell him. that story to that some of him. these kids now, and they look at you like, well, do you mean you have to go back to the dressing room and talk for a half hour about it? No. That was him. Yeah. If it worked, he was, he'd go for it. He you, was gifted. He was. He was absolutely. But, you know, that was the thing, too. He didn't, I mean, I'm sure he was proud of what he did and, and what he knew, as he should be. But his ego never got in the way. I remember suggesting a, a finish in the office one time. Half, I was half-assed kid. He said, I like it. We're going to do it. And I thought he was ribbing, but he wasn't. Uh, you know, and it worked. But, I mean, that was the thing. He never – and I'll tell you the truth, sitting in that office with him and Watts, you want to you sit down and learn? 
I mean, now these two guys would butt heads a little bit, but you realize you got these two fertile minds, man, and it would come up with some really good stuff. I remember uh, we were talking about Buddy Fuller. I remember him being in there one time, uh, and I don't know what what brought this up in the conversation, but I'll never forget it. He said, you know, if you got the only game in town, you can put anything you want out there, and the people are going to have to buy it. But if you got competition, you better be on your game. That's a fact. Yeah, I've told this story on here before, Les, about when he was here. Of course, I was a kid. I was buying tickets. I was sitting on the second row. They had built and built and built Mr. Wrestling against Gene Kaninsky for the title, and it was the <clears throat> that was the week that Timmy got his finger bit off in Columbus. Right. And he came in, and I'll, I can remember the finish to that match, just like I was sitting there. Of course, I didn't know what a finish was, but I remember they worked where Timmy just just was on top of him for about 35, 40 minutes, and then Gene attacked that finger, and Leo stopped the match. He stopped the match. He and, and on TV the next day he said, "I didn't want to risk permanent injury. We knew the man was in pain." Blah 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 blah. And I and and after I got the business and as I think about it now, what a perfect scenario. It made it made common sense to go after the finger if you think you're gonna lose. It made common sense for a referee to stop the match, keep a guy from getting hurt, and it didn't hurt his baby face. Mm-hmm. I mean that's just. That's Com- remarkable thinking in my book. Common sense isn't very common anymore, is it? No, it does, that flower don't bloom on many people's bush anymore. <laughs> no, it don't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But we we can do a lot of co- funny things that aren't very funny. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> they They had ten guys dressed up as giant penises in Chicago last Saturday night. Oh, jeez. Well, you guys don't. Well, you guys, you guys live under a rock for Christ's sake. You don't know who Joey Ryan is, do you? Or do you? No, I don't. No. Well, he, uh, you grab his penis and he will throw. He'll beal you with his penis. For who? What kind? <laughs> I'm not. Hey, I'm not high. I, I'm not drunk. I'm just. Telling you. <laughs> see, I could see that with Robert Fuller, but you know. Oh, see, well, now you've been you've been peeking in the damn shower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Charlie Charlie Smith tells one of the funniest stories. Uh, I, you may have even been there, Les. I don't know. He said he said Robert was nineteen years old, maybe in the Atlanta dressing room, and he came down the hallway and he was he was uh, proudly showing it off, saying, "I bet you guys wish you could do this." And they said that Doug Gilbert said, "I can." And he said, let me see. And Smitty said, that Gilbert grabbed Robert and started jerking and shaking and pulling. And <laughs> said, he said it's one of the funniest things he's ever seen. And said, said to see Robert try to climb the wall was even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell. You know, I got a, an email from a guy, uh, I, I, just a fan, I, I guess, and was telling me that Doug and Annie's son I forget which one which one it was now. He he does uh he's big karaoke disc jockey in Omaha and uh he had had some kind of surgery and stuff and, and said I just thought you'd like to know because I've heard you talk before that you knew uh his dad and his mother and I said, Yeah. But uh I guess I don't know if Annie's still alive or not. Uh, Doug as I know has passed away. 
shit, didn't you guys do, Annie? Had any kids, did no, I didn't. I didn't. She was funny. She had a hell of a sense of humor too. She was. She was a. She was a, a good lady. She was a lot of fun. Uh, but the business was a lot of fun. We, you know, I. I mean, it. Uh, I remember the uh, going in. Uh, you know, don't talk to anybody on on the Gunkel sign. And I thought, <laughs> you know, and I I, I told Bill. I said. Uh, Bill, if one of them speak to me, should I just spit on him or what? And Bill looked at me like he thought I was nuts. I said, <laughs> do you, do, did you hire me to come down here to think I'm so stupid as I'm going to run into somebody that works for the other office and say, hey, guess what we're doing next week on TV? <laughs> what? I mean, yeah, really. Do I, I look I that stupid to you? Guys, you or guys what? know about the, the, the deal between Ricky Hunter and Briscoe, don't you? We're, we're Ricky, Ricky Hunter and Briscoe? What about it? Yeah. Oh, you know well, what? They, they crossed in the parking lot between TV tapings, and they got into a verbal thing, and, and Ricky ended up filing a lawsuit against Briscoe for, for defamation of character. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the end result was. Ricky is in a uh, assisted living. You know, I've been. I was still alive. I, I didn't Ricky's know he was number. still alive. Yeah, he's he really? well. I, I wouldn't have known it either. Scott Casey had quadruple bypass a few months ago. Yeah, how's he doing? Uh, he's doing better. Uh, you know, it. He said, "I don't want to do that again." I said, "Why not?" You mean it wasn't fun? <laughs> quadruple <laughs> bypass. Uh, but he he lives down in Florida now, and uh, he had gone with uh, who the hell was it? He told me he went with somebody to visit. He said, "I don't know if you know Ricky Hunter." I said, "Yeah, hell yeah, I know Ricky Hunter." And uh, he said, yeah, well, he's, uh, he has his good days and his bad days, but he's in assisted living. I guess he's in the early stages of dementia or Alzheimer's Jesus, or whatever. I hate that. I, I thought the world of Ricky. He was a character. I mean, plain and you simple, know, he, was a, he was a crazy man. He was a tough man. man. Yeah, you that's... know he's a bad egg, don't you? Huh? Did you know he was a bad egg? Yeah. He could yeah. take care of himself. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. yeah I well, he stayed. I uh, he came into Charlotte and and he uh, slept on uh, our cat. Dennis and I had a <coughs> hall and I had a townhouse and and he stayed with us for a while. So yeah, I knew he was a crazy. And you know what? He was one of the guys. He could say anything to a woman. I mean, I don't care how crazy it was and he just always seemed to get over right i mean i just i was fascinated watching him right he was so quick-witted man he he, he was he was so oh man i'm not going to use the language but i i remember sitting in a restaurant one night and he went uh this girl was sitting in a booth behind us and he said i want to talk to her and he went back and and i could hear the com- his end of the conversation and he'd say well you know what do you like beethoven uh, well, you know, I don't remember the end, but a couple things like that. And then finally he said, well, would you like to have sex? Only he didn't use that particular word, right? <laughs> and I thought, well, there's a hell of a lead in. You like Beethoven? No. Well, would you like to screw? No, I don't want to do that either. But Well, I'll go back to my table then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he, yeah, he was. He was... I, mean, I hate to hear that. I, I God knows. Well, I I heard I heard Terry Funk is uh, getting a little that way. Really? 
Uh, well, that's Scott. I, again, Scott had before he had the heart attack. Uh, the, the heart attack. Uh, he had been back to Texas for somebody he grew up with uh, uh, for their funeral he was from or San something. Antonio, wasn't he? Huh? Wasn't he from San Antonio? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, no. He broke in, and now he broke in with Dorian Terry in Amarillo. That's where he broke in. From there, he went to Tampa, and then Tampa, he came to Charlotte, and we hooked. George Scott gave him to me and said, teach this kid how to tag team wrestle, and so we've been friends but, ever since. But I since. thought he was from San Antonio, his hometown. He might have been. I'm, I'm not sure, that. to be honest. But what about Terry? What did he say about well, Terry? Well, he had gone to visit with Terry, and he just said he felt like Terry was slipping a little bit. Terry has not been to Colorado Alley in the last two years. He hasn't. He hasn't made the trip. I haven't either. But that's that's because I can't afford it. And you well, referees I, can afford you. You, you we guys have driven out there the last two years, sir. Huh? Four you, of you, us have gotten together and driven out there the last two years. Well, you love those road trips, right? <laughs> How long does it take you to drive? A couple days? Two days. We we actually. Uh, Scrappy McGowan and myself and Randy that worked in the office there with us for a while and uh, Gene Bennett, one of our buddies that worked for up in Tennessee, we we kind of made a vacation out of it. We, uh, you know, we didn't do anything expensive. We just went sightseeing. But uh, I can say I have stood on the corner in Winslow, Arizona. So damn it, I want to stand on that corner and never. But I'm telling you, it's the neatest little park you ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, a friend of mine was out there. Uh, oh, it's been a year and a half ago, and I said, "Did you get me a tea?" He said, "I couldn't find any." I said, "His name is Mike." I said, "Mike, I know you're lying to me. I bet every gift shop in in Winslow has got T-shirts to say I stood on the corner." And went Seriously, they they did not have a lot of gift shops. We were there. Everything was closed when we came through there, but uh, they got a they got a little statue of Jackson Brown and a statue of Glenn Fry. They got the uh, flatbed truck painted on the wall. Uh, we're doing a neat, neat little stop. Cool. Yeah, I I have I haven't been to Vegas. Well, when uh, when I was uh, booking the tournament for the guy in L.A. back in 2012 and 13, uh, we, it was the last time I was in Vegas. Yeah, I think you guys sat with us that night. Didn't didn't he win the belt that year? Yeah. That, yeah. Well, he not only won that damn belt, uh, he won the one in Charlotte. Oh, jeez. I said, I said, are you fixing these things or what? I said, I've, I've been buying twenty, thirty dollars for the chance on these damn belts every year, and can't even get a whiff. No, don't even. Yeah, don't even get three numbers out of the six. Exactly, and yeah, and he won the one in Vegas, and then went to Charlotte and won that one too. Jeez. Whatever. Whatever. Man. Uh, when did uh, when did Renesto take over the book for the NWA office? What was that? Seventy five. When I yes, when I went over there, I went over there in November. We shut down in November seventy four, and I went over, We shut down on a Saturday night or a Friday night. And I went to work on Monday morning for Barnett, and uh, Harley was the booker, and he was there maybe maybe a month and a half. Renesto came in early seventy five. Yeah. That's Harley. Left. I just don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why they, Harley's Harley they is all the kind of money. Good, huh? Uh, 
I was going to say, I don't know how else I didn't stay in business. You know, the both main events are Don Serrano versus Ernie Ladd. That was the end of it. I don't know either. <laughs> I, well, first of all, why would you put Don Serrano, who was, hell, wasn't more than 5'6", was he? Oh, he was working in boots with a two-inch buildup on the bottom then. Okay. He wasn't He was super soul Davis. You know, I got my own thoughts about that. If anybody could see that handwriting on the wall. <laughs> no, yeah. What handwriting was that? Come on. What'd I miss? <laughs> when Tom booked Ernie Ladd against Don Serrano in oh. Atlanta. Do you yeah. want to fill it out? Or, huh? Yeah, I got you. Yeah. yeah. You know, Ernie and I uh, was... Yeah, you know, and that's, you know, that's, that's business, you know, but... That's business. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, I, I got I got done like that in a way, you know, with Barnett, you know. I've gotten hurt, had knee surgery, and got booked in Japan. I, I know how that worked. Barnett booked my brother and I in Japan, he said, man, when y'all come back, things will be really good for you. They were good for us before we left. And I was off nine weeks. I go to Japan, come back, and he got a job. I hear you. You know, uh, I should have well, driven to Atlanta is what I should have done. Looking yeah. back, I was young then. I, I, what I would have done now, I got in my car and driven to Atlanta. You know, everybody was different. Now, Barnett, all, you know, that's where the name Thatcher came from. It was from Barnett, 1962. Uh, oh really? Yes, you didn't know that. No. Yeah. I well, you, you know, my, my real last name is Irish, and nobody can pronounce it. It's spelled M A L A D Y, Malady, and Malady, everybody. And the reason, uh, you know, uh, the Boston has a great, you know, Irish uh, uh, back, you know, heritage, and so when I was up there. Uh, Santos, when I broke in with him, he, uh, you know, he wanted to keep my last name because of the Irish connection. And so I, you know, when I started with Barnett, but people pronounce it Malady, Malady, I've, Christ, they butcher it all the time. And I, I, I just got used to it. And Barnett being a perfectionist, that pissed him off. And, uh, after about a month, I guess, or maybe, maybe five or six weeks, I don't know that I've been working for him, uh, Les Ruffin came into the uh, dressing room at TV in Indianapolis and said, the old man's tired of hearing the ring announcers butcher your last name. He wants to change it. And he said he wants to call you Les Thatcher. Is that okay? And, hell, I was 21 years old and just wanted to wrestle. I didn't care what they called me Smith if they wanted or whatever. I didn't care. But I said, yeah, okay. So that was uh, that was how I got the name. And don't ask me why, Thatcher, because I never ask him, and it's too late now. Uh, but, you know, so that, yeah, that's how I got the name. And, uh. Well, I was the only Thatcher in the business. But I know of. Well, all of us guys with LT are badasses. Luthez, uh, Les Thornton, <laughs> Les. <laughs> that's good. I like that. I'm the only one that comes up short on that. Or as Saul Weingraf used to say, you know, uh, I take care of all the shooters come into this territory. You do. Yeah, I've, if they need anything, I buy it. You know, go get them coffee or <laughs> <laughs> Coke or whatever. Right? Oh, hell. 
Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Barnett, uh, that's a crazy thing, too. Uh, I don't know how it would have worked out if we'd have done it, but uh, at one, you know, Gordon was flying in every week. And, uh, well, sometimes he'd come in on Friday, and then we'd go out, and he'd stay at my place. But anyway, uh, so uh, Leo and, and Watts and I sat down one day, and, and they said, well, you know, maybe uh, we'll stop bringing Gordon in because, you know, coming every week. And I said, I'm not sure if that's a good idea. And they said, why? Why do you say that? And I realized it's 1973. Um and I said, well, you know, we, we we always talk about, you know, wanting to match up with real sports, right, like the Falcons and the Hawks and, uh, you know, the Braves. And, yeah, and, okay, they all have broadcast teams. And, again, for those listening, wrestling hasn't always had broadcast teams. You know, when I started doing broadcast, and, and back when I started in the business, there was just one guy at the desk. I didn't have a – uh, play-by-play and a color man. But anyway, so I, I said to Leo and Bill, I said, uh, you know, if we're trying to look like we fit with them, then maybe it's a good idea to keep Gordon coming. And they they both agreed. And so then Barnett bought in and bought the, uh, the townhouse and got the chauffeur-driven limousine and spent all this money on whatever and uh so anyway in in uh in 74 then he called me in one day and he i knew we were going some way so i wasn't sure he said you know leslie i i gave you the name thatcher and we've always had a good relationship and yes jim and uh, i know and et cetera, et cetera. and he said but here and, and this is truth this is exactly what he said but you know I want to buy into Florida, too. So to do that, I think it's probably necessary that I kiss Eddie's ass. And to do that, I need to keep Gordon, and I can't afford two announcers. So I'm going to, you know, now he said, I've already talked to Jimmy Crockett and George Scott, and they would love to have you back in Charlotte. But if you'd rather go somewhere else, and I thought, no, right up 85 is good for me. So. So I often wonder, you know, if me deciding that, or, or would he have let me go and brought Gordon back? I don't know. You know I'll tell you that. another story about that. This got to do with the Tampa office, uh, but this, this, and this is a true story. I, uh, this was must have been Sue, 1980, probably 84, I guess. Uh, Briscoe called me and said, "We want you to come in Tampa and and do the TV next week." Okay. Is Gordon going to be off? No, no, he's going to be here. Uh, okay. So I kind of wondered why, you know, you want me down there for one TV show. So anyway, it came in, and we did the TV, and then uh, after everybody had left, they said, okay, we went up to Eddie's office, and it was Eddie and Mike Graham, Dusty, Kevin Sullivan, and Briscoe and myself. So anyway, long story short, they were mad at Gordon. He had pissed them off in some manner. Right, and so they want to fire him. And Gordon and I had always had a good relationship, and and I'm thinking, but I'm thinking if they're going to fire him, somebody's going to take his spot anyway. And they were, I mean, the offer was good, and, and like Mike, Mike owned a, some condos in town at the time. He said, Les, you can live in one of my condos, you know. Uh, and uh, they, they were going out of their way to, yeah, okay, this sounds pretty good. So, uh, you know, we'll get back to me. You know, with uh, you know, with details and so forth. So du- we went on. All of us went down to the Imperial Lounge, uh, 
And uh, that was the last time I ever had a party. No, it wasn't either. I, yeah, it was. Last time I ever partied with Dusty, he had a 50 Ford uh, custom uh, pickup, chop top, a big Buick V8 engine. And we're we're leaving the Imperial about 2.30 in the morning, going down Dale Mabry at about 80, 85 miles an hour. And he's got George Jones and Merle Haggard and the tape deck just turned as loud as he can make it. And anyway... So long story short, I go back to Knox, you know, fly back to Knoxville, and I figure, okay, we're going to set up. And you know what happened? Nobody. No uh, well, uh, Dusty, uh, Eddie said, who's going to tell Gordon he's fired? And Dusty said, you are. And, Gordon's, uh, and Eddie said, no, I'm not. You tell him. And Dusty said, I'm not going to tell him. <laughs> so nobody told him, so he was never fired. <laughs> That's what a true was, what story. What was the they had with him? Huh? Did you ever know what the beef was they had with No, I, I don't. To this day, I don't know. Uh, I guess Briscoe might remember, but uh, yeah, but that was the deal. Nobody, they, nobody would tell him he was fired, so he wasn't. <laughs> well, guys, we are down to nine seconds. This has been fun. This has really been fun. Well, you guys, let me tell you this. Uh, no matter how mad you talk about me, I love y'all. <laughs> oh, that's why we had you on. Yes, sir. <laughs> Gerald, let's do another bodybuilding show just for the hell of it. What do you think? I need to. I'd love to. I have you got new shoulders. I, I got new knees. Huh? I said Jerry's got new shoulders. He's got new knees. He's a bionic man now. I've got all my same old stuff. I, <laughs> well, my I'm not sure that's well a blessing yet, or a curse. Yeah, my shoulder's not well yet, but. It's coming. Well, take care of it. Uh, well, listen, I'll I'll jump off here and let you guys wind this up. And uh, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Hope it didn't bore it. everybody yeah. to death. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Thank we'll you, You guys stay in touch, okay? God bless. Take care. God bless. Man. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, guys, this is this has been fun. I think we can do this once a month and not uh, oh, yeah. not kill ourselves and burn ourselves out. So, but anyway, we will get together first of uh, first of October and we'll do this one more time. All righty, sounds you, like Mike. a winner. Good night, everybody. Good night, Bobby. Good night, Good night guys. Bye bye. Bye bye. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.